What is up? Welcome back to Big Fat Five, a podcast financially supported by Big Fat Snare Drum. This week's guest is Tina Raymond. Tina is an accomplished drummer, composer, band leader, and educator based out of Los Angeles, California, and is the director of jazz studies at California State University, Northridge. She's presented globally, and her teaching credits include Los Angeles City College, the Herbie Hancock Institute, University of Michigan, Bard College, and Idlewild Arts. She's toured all over the world as both a band leader and a sideman. Her upcoming releases include Divinations, featuring six of her own compositions, and Rachel Eckroth's Live at Sam First. Seriously, she's an insane player and so good at relaying information in a really fun way. And I know I always say this, but make sure you have your notes out for this one. So she goes over a lot. And I hope you enjoy the five records that shaped Tina Raymond into the drummer and educator she is today. Cheers. This list, what was your criteria for something to make or even be thought about maybe making this list? I went through the things that I felt were really influential and had like really distinct, made really distinct impressions on my perception of music and the role the drums have in the music, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> but also just stuff that I really liked, stuff that made me excited about playing music and playing drums. Um, but, but each record has a really interesting uh, drummer on it who has a very distinct approach to playing music. Mm-hmm. What I, it was also revealing to me that like four of the five records are from like late 50s, early 60s. So it was also like, uh, kind of limited in my influences here. But I, they're all such great drummers and so important in the lineage that it was like, well, this is what I'm bringing today. Also, the jazz records or just records in general from that little 10-year period you mentioned sound so good. They just sound so amazing. Right. Um, What was the first record you bought with your own money? Great question. You know what? It was the double live album of Ani DeFranco, Living in Clip. You know that one? I don't know that one. I know Ani, but yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it's a live album. Andy Statensky is on drums. And... I was probably, oh, 12 or 13, and I rode my bike like two miles to Borders Books. Because like someone someone around that time had done a cover of 32 Flavors, one of her songs, and I heard that on the radio. I'm like, this is such a cool tune. Like the lyrics are so intriguing and interesting and thoughtful. And so then I went and went to the source and found Ani, and I was like, wow, this is really amazing. And yeah, went from there. Do you still have the CD or is it long gone? Oh, man. If I do, it's in a tub in the garage, you know? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, totally. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, All right, well, let's just hop into number one. 
And cool. before we go, I have to give a big shout out to Billy Moeller, a mutual yeah. friend of ours. Uh, he's uh, turned me on to a lot of awesome players in the area. So uh, much love to him. But yeah, let's just hop into the first one. And the album is Everybody Digs Bill Evans. The artist is, of course, Bill Evans. Release here is the time period you were talking about, 1959. The key tracks uh, that we'll listen to in a second is a, a song called Minority and Philly Joe Jones is the drummer. So take it away and then we'll listen to some minority. Yeah, what's interesting about this record is um, Philly doesn't use any toms. It's just snare drum, bass drum, cymbals. And you don't miss them. You know, the language is um, so efficient and crystal clear. There's a a page of one bar phrases in John Riley's Art of Bebop drumming book. And this is like one of the first lessons I teach with my students is going through that page and, and learning those little one bar bebop language nuggets with bass and snare and then going through the trading sections at, toward the end of this tune and picking them out and you find them and then you hear how philly joe puts them into larger phrases it's just it's a fun efficient example of bebop language it's so good where were you when you were introduced to this sir and and, and who introduced it to you yeah um joe la barbara up at cal arts i studied with joe joe was um the last drummer in bill evans's trio so there's that connection too yeah um and joe is the best teacher i've ever had he's just a wealth of knowledge and a patient and kind human and my lessons with him up there for my masters were just some of the, the best teaching moments i've i've had on the drum set what have you i mean i know you said he was kind and patient but what have you taken from him to then your students um a lot of the transcription work we worked on together mm-hmm. um we transcribed so much philly joe and art blakey and roy haynes and kind of worked through the history um he taught me how to like listen to what the drummers were doing we'd sit and listen to music together and be like you hear that you hear how philly joe is comping here you hear how max roach played this you know rhythm that led into this phrase um just taught me how to listen that way um, and also we, we play a lot together. We trade, you know, fours or eights or, mm. or play a tune together in lessons and just hearing him in the room that close up and how he phrases and, um, uses the drums as a melodic tool was, was really opening for me. I was coming from much more kind of rudimental language, um, and studying with him really opened my playing up to play more melodies and to use the drums as a melodic concept. Yeah, that's awesome. That press roll. And you were saying there's uh, trade-offs at the yeah, end of the song? Yeah, if you want to fast forward, yeah. I feel like it's about three minutes in maybe.
when it comes to bop, bebop, hard bop, if what is the lineage real quick? I mean, because I I'm just because of this podcast, slowly getting into more jazz and and really appreciating it and loving it and so happy right now that I'm in this phase of my life. But what is kind of the basic I don't know timeline um, of that? Yeah, well, I'll I'll go back even a little bit earlier. So mm-hmm. drum set was invented in New Orleans with the creation of jazz, right? Mm-hmm. And the evolution of even just the setup of the instrument, it's wiggly and it's actually quite young. You know, the, the history of the instrument is really only 120 something years old, mm-hmm. which when you think of history of instruments like violin or piano, like that's a baby instrument, even though the concept of a drum is probably one of the oldest. And so lots of different kind of found percussion instruments that were in street bands of New Orleans. West African drums, Chinese drums, everything that was kind of imported into that port city was just there. And at some point, someone decided to try to play a bunch of things at once, right? We had the the cymbal strapped to your foot, and then that evolved into a low boy, and then figuring it out. And then fast forward, you know, 20-something years through the Jazz Age and the Great Migration, where drum sets were then moved throughout the world, really, but in terms of the Great Migration, south to north, Chicago, New York kind of a more codified drum set evolved with snare drum, bass drum, some cymbals, maybe some wood blocks. That was pretty traditional. Mm-hmm. And then with the evolution of swing bands and dance music, having that consistent pulse on the bass drum, feathering the bass drum that comes from pre-amplification and the reinforcement of the attack on the bass drum and feeling the time down low to, you know, into the 40s bebop moving the time feel from the bass drum and the hi-hat over to the right symbol. Kenny Clark, drummer, is known for um, kind of starting that trend. And then the jam sessions in New York, Mitten's Playhouse, everyone hearing that kind of sound together and then using traditional rudimental drumming technique to build the language of, of bebop jazz drumming. And hard bop is kind of... so. Bebop is like fast and lots of chord changes and just um, a lot of information, a lot of sort of testosterone aggression. You think of like a bunch (laughs) of dudes down in a basement club getting high playing. And Mm -hmm. hard bop was a a sort of reclaiming of simpler harmonies, blues. It's kind of more groovy, um, if you will, just kind of slowing things down and another reclaiming of um, the roots of the music. So many of the shifts in the history of jazz and the history of the styles are are kind of trying to get ahead of appropriation, right? So like black artists create this music, white musicians learn it and emulate it. And so then they move on to the next thing and then moving into cool or West Coast jazz with, with more intricate arrangements. And then the drums kind of take a step back into more textural, more, more kind of classical percussion approaches. Soul jazz is like, you know, you add the B3 organ. And, and so then without a bass player, you've got to kind of ground back down into the groove because you've got an organ player who's also playing a, playing a bass line. And that kind of dual role of the limbs needs some more support from the drums. Mm-hmm. Um, and then into free jazz where you can throw time out the window. And how do you do that on the drums when, that's you know, that's kind of what the drums were invented for was to keep time. And so now you're not doing that. What does that mean? Um, yeah. Wow. Well, I can see why you're a great educator. That was really well, <laughs> well articulated. That's awesome. Hey, y'all. I wanted to, <laughs> I can't say, I wanted to talk to you about a drum I've recently received from Preston at Vessel Drum Co. It's an ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum, and it's incredible. It's got a 1.5 millimeter shell, brass shell, 
with 10 lugs, chrome over brass, triple flange hoops, a trick uh, three-position strainer, 42-strand wires. It's lovely, it's loud, and it cuts and records as beautiful as a piece of butter cake. And, and Preston, actually, this is why it's called the Ocean Patina, is he covers the shell with seaweed and then drops it in the ocean for a certain period of time. And then it patinas with all these crazy cool designs. And if you all remember, Preston was actually one of the first guests on the podcast. When I first started out, I didn't really know what the Big Fat Five format was going to be or if it was going to be even Big Fat Five at all. But I went to his garage, his, his, you know, where he makes all of his drums. It was really cool. He walked me through the episode is essentially from start to finish what happens with a drum. And it was, it was a really fun episode. It's now archived at bigfatsnaredrum.com just because it doesn't fit the format of Big Fat Five. I want you to get back to the show, but go check it out. This drum is beautiful. And he actually let me use it on an Eve 6 tour and I didn't keep it and I regretted it ever since then just because I was trying to pinch pennies at the time and I just kept thinking about it and so the opportunity to get it again was presented and it is one of my favorite drums so the ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum check it out reach out to me go to vessel drum co the instagram's just at vessel drum co and check it out it's amazing it's beautiful sounds great bye all right, so number two, let's just keep on going. And it's live at the Pershing. The artist is Ahmad Jamal. The release mm-hmm. year, actually same year as Everybody Digs Bill Evans, 1959. Vernal Fournier, is that how you say his last Vern- name? Yeah, Vernal Fournier, um, a New Orleans drummer okay. whose brushwork is just beyond. Ugh, it's the best. Awesome. So yeah, take it away and then we'll listen to one of the songs that I'm... Uh, Soiree with the fringe on the top and then point uh, Yeah, Surrey with the Surrey. I'm sorry if I spell her Surrey. Yeah, no, it's I from just can't that read. Oklahoma mu- No, it's fine. Um, it's a, you know, Surrey with a fringe on top. It's from that old musical Oklahoma. Um, oh, okay. But you'll hear like the smooth, effortless quality of his brush playing. I feel like a lot, even jazz drummers, like we don't spend enough time with those swatty, weird brush things that have such a beautiful texture. Um and lend themselves so well to acoustic instruments because they're for the most part soft right so you you create this whole level of dynamic range with those especially if you get a lot of language together they're just it's a beautiful sound i don't know how else to say it other than i just i think it's such a beautiful sound and so on surrey with the fringe on top it's blazing fast and it's effortless brushwork and just like really beautiful fills in between moments and comping I think that's what you'll get from this track. It's like, holy shit, this guy has got his brush chops together. <laughs> uh, and to learn a little more about you, where were you in your journey when this was introduced to you? This record was introduced to me in my undergrad in Cincinnati. Um, probably, I can't remember if it was in a jazz history course, or I think it was actually just a record a bunch of my friends were checking out that someone else had told them. I think maybe Brad Good, who used to teach at Cincinnati before I got there, had told a bunch of students to check out this record. And the tune that's really sort of highlighted on this record to check it out is Poinciana, um, which is this New Orleans groove, which is totally worth hearing, that is unique to Vernell to the point where if someone tells you to play a Poinciana groove, like every jazz drummer knows this groove really and it's got the bell on two and four yeah it's it's just a very unique some people describe it as calypso but it's not it's coming out of new orleans which you could i mean 
that's actually super related because there's so much Haitian influence in, in New Orleans too. But it, it's such a, a cool groove that's unique to this tune. And then and then the way the tune is arranged and shaped is like a perfect masterpiece of a composition. You're listening and you're like seven minutes in and you're still, I'm, I'm still captivated by it. And I'm captivated by it each time I listen to it and I hear something new each time. It's just a perfect piece. Yeah, well, I'll leave people in suspense because that is a, a over an eight minute song. So let's listen to yeah. Surrey with the fringe on top. But yeah, people go check cool. out Poinciana. Is that what you said? Yeah, Poinciana. All right. Well, here's Surrey with the fringe on top, not Soiree. Just smooth, you know? Yeah. So I'm assuming Ahmad is the, the piano player? A piano player, exactly. It's fast too. <laughs> it's fast. And all this kind of simple comping with the bass drum, you know? Mm -hmm. It's so methodical. Yeah. Three over four, right? Yeah. And the patience to like not deviate from yeah. that. You yeah. Know? It's impressive. Yeah, your mind can't be wandering. Or maybe it's wandering mm -hmm. and he's just that good. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, brushes are fun. I am not good at them at all. I can do the very basic stuff, you know, but uh, they are fun. Cool. All right. So number three, just to move along, let's go to when the pawn taking a little bit of a right turn here. And I love it. Matt's not talked about it enough. And um, Matt is the shit. I know. Yeah. So before I got into jazz, I was listening to, you know, 90s girl rock, which was for me, like such a heyday of that genre. You had Alanis Morissette, Jewel, Fiona Apple, um, Tori Amos. There were just these incredible, strong, empowered women making great music. And I didn't even realize until I really got into jazz and studying music and drums how much I really grew up listening to Matt Chamberlain. He's on all that Tori Amos stuff, um, and he's on a lot of the Fiona Apple stuff. And Matt has a really strong jazz sonic capability and, and approach. Like his cymbals with Tori were always kind of washy Ks, I think. I just think that he's so brilliant in his approach to texture a few, a few years ago, probably 10 years ago now, he did a residency at the Mint um, where every week he had a different band and he did a thing with John Bryan, who's the producer on this record, and a thing with Bill Frizzell and a thing with Tim Young. And he brought out all his crazy instruments, like the snare drum that's like, I don't know, 20 by like three inches. He has a <laughs> bass drum that looks like an elephant sat on it. He's got this like hand clapper Pandero machine that's got a trigger on. I mean, it was just... He's so creative and he takes so many risks that I like, I wouldn't, I, I would never show up to a gig with a bass drum that wasn't round. <laughs> you know? yeah. Like, what is she doing? <laughs> um, 
I just think he's so brilliant and, and he was so much of my childhood in terms of like what I instinctually liked about music. He was on so much of it. And Butch is so cool. I, I actually didn't realize Butch was on this. I met Butch a few weeks ago. He showed up to one of the gigs I did with Billy at ETA and was super complimentary about my drumming. And I need to go hang with him because like now knowing that he was a part of this record too, like it's not just the drum set playing on this record. The layered percussion that happens on this record is really awesome. And I'm so curious to know like who played on what and, and who did which layering parts, you know, like I think the drum set solo on limp is Matt Chamberlain, but I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. But just in terms of like, he uses so much jazz vocabulary and rudimental. He's playing like, I think paradiddle diddles for a bunch of this stuff. And um, it sounds like Matt to me, but I don't know, maybe not. I don't know. All right, well, let's just listen to a little bit of Limp. You wanna make me sick, you wanna Her voice is so cool. It's so cool. And just the production on this whole record, you know, that it's like... There's that weird percussive thing in the back here. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Stank. And about halfway through this, there's a there's a drum solo. And it's so great. When I think of it, my fingers turn to face. I never did yeah, This sounds like Matt. Right? Like big washy symbols. There's just like a chime. <laughs> so cool. So cool. That's so perfect, you know? Yeah. Like there's so much space and texture and a statement of an idea and then they give you a moment to like let you absorb it as a listener. It's just it's a perfect solo, I think. 
Yeah, I don't think I've listened to this record all the way through for years, so I definitely want to go back into it. I remember that. sitting with this in like the back of my parents' car, like driving in northern Michigan with my Walkman on and like rewinding that over and over, listening <laughs> to that drum solo. Have you ever got to meet Matt? I'm not sure if you said you did or not. I have, um, but just in passing. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm like... I'm such a fan. I feel like I just, I, I get a little too excited when I meet him. He's like, whoa, <laughs> get away from yeah. me. Anyways, I'll like, be over here I doing anything you. else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't get it. Yeah. All right. So number four, the album is Art Pepper plus 11. Or is it Art Pepper and 11? I'm not sure. Plus 11. You're plus, right. Okay, yeah, good. Plus 11. Art, Art Pepper plus 11. The artist is Art Pepper. The release mm-hmm. year is going backwards, 1960, and key mm-hmm. tracks move, grooving high, and Mel Lewis. And I know Mel Lewis has a big had a, had a big impact on you. One of the first drummers you really got into. So, um, yeah, take it away. Yeah. Um, so I studied with a drummer in Cincinnati named John Von Olin, um, who was a drummer that played in Stan Kenton and Woody Herman, and was obsessed with Mel Lewis. I feel like Mel probably felt about John the way. Uh, Matt Chamberlain feels about me where it's like, whoa, kid, okay, <laughs> take yeah. it easy. Um, yeah. But just in terms of the ride symbol concept, what we heard with Philly Joe was a much tighter ride pattern, right? And Mel's pattern is much fatter. It's like a day, 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 day. It's using gravity to drop the stick on two and four to create the skip beat rather than re-articulating every quarter note. So that automatically just creates this different kind of feel underneath a band to have a fatter ride cymbal beat. And then Mel's concept of how to kick this band, even though it's just 11, he addresses the charts and the arrangements similarly to how you would a big band. And I was actually, I was struggling with like which Mel Lewis record to put on here because they're all so great and they're all such great examples of like, how to do just enough to make the band play articulations together and like just the smallest fills to keep everything moving. He for me is like, one, how to use gravity to create a ride cymbal sound and two, how to effortlessly kick a big band um, without getting in, a, in the way of the lines. I think a lot of young players, when they're learning big band, there's two kind of major pitfalls. One is they read everything on the page and play all the rhythms. Um, And when you're reading big band charts, what's on the page is not what you should play, it's what the band is playing. And then it's your job to interpret those rhythms to figure out how to make the band play them together, which doesn't necessarily mean that you should be playing everything on the page. Mm. So a, a thing I'll do with my students is we'll look at these charts and then we'll go to the recordings of Mel Lewis playing these recordings and hear and see which things he doesn't even touch. You know, it's just like, you see that rhythm go all the way by and he left it alone. It's like, oh, guess I don't have to play all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then not honoring the articulations that the band is playing. So you end up making um, the lines that the horns are playing more ambiguous because you're not matching the articulation styles. And Mel is such a master of aligning short notes with short notes and long notes with long notes so that the phrases are clearly heard. He's just a master. By long notes, do you mean cymbals? Short notes, you mean like bass drum? Snare drum, bass drum, exactly. Okay. So treat <laughs> treat the horn parts like we should treat Matt Chamberlain. Just kind of let him do his thing. Maybe say hi every once in a while. Yeah, like be cool. <laughs> yeah, be cool. <laughs> yeah. So do you want to lis- listen to Move or Groovin' High? Either one. They're both perfect examples of how to kick a big band. 
All right, let's just, I like grooving. Let's go grooving high. Cool. There's that yeah. wide right symbol beat. Oh, uh, you know, it's like yeah. just in the right place. Scope it to oh, scope it to oh. Is that a different symbol? Sounds like it. Yeah. So sounds he like have a like two. almost. Yeah. He, he had like, probably, I mean, I should know. I don't know the sizes of his symbols, but probably two rights here and a china would be okay. my guess. Yeah, it's very, it's very distinct voices for sure. Yeah. And he, he does a different color behind each soloist, kind of giving each soloist this framework to play on top of. Nice. 100%, yeah. The bass drum sounds so good too. It's like so nice and puffy. Calf heads, man. Yeah. those articulations, you yeah. know. The tendency for that for most drummers would be to catch all of that yeah. and he just leaves it alone. That phrasing was really cool. It was like going over the bar line and kind of stumbling. The drummer kind of needs to be like, I got you guys. You do your thing. Mm-hmm. Like, here's the time so you can play that. Exactly. Yeah, Mel's not talked about enough on this podcast. I mean, my first introduction to him was, I believe, the Istanbul, uh, the Mel Lewis ride. And right, I was like, totally. oh, I should probably know who Who's that guy this? is. Yeah. yeah, exactly. He's yeah. someone. I'll, I'll yeah. definitely go down the rabbit hole of his playing. Yeah, I mean, the Thad Mel stuff is great. Um, him with Bill Holman is great. Terry Gibbs Dream Band, there's a, a track from one of those volumes called The Fuzz. That track is why I played jazz. Like that listening, I used to bump that track in my red Jeep Cherokee with zebra seats on the freeways in Michigan, going to and from like different youth big band rehearsals and stuff. And it was just, it's so exciting. There's really high trumpet and really low bass trombone and Barry sax, and then the drums make it really fun. What's yeah, it? check that one out. It's called The Fuzz? Terry Gibbs Dream Band, and the track is called The Fuzz. 
like yeah. the police, the buzz. I get yelled at by some of our listeners that people mention things and they're like, why don't you play it in real time? So I'm just going to play it in real time. Oh, yes. That bass trombone. Dude, yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Sounds like a distorted synth, like an EDM festival. Right? And it would it would make my speakers rattle, you know? Yeah. <laughs> There's so much energy behind that ride symbol. It's yeah. just so good. Why, why jazz from such a young age? I mean, it, that seems like a little unique for, for a younger kid to be like, this is my thing. Maybe it's not. I don't know. No, it is. I'm, I think I'm one of the only drummers I know that didn't play in a rock band until they were in college. Um, yeah, yeah. My teachers were always jazz drummers. Um, so that was kind of the direction I was steered in. My first drum teacher, we started with like old school rudimental solos. And he was playing in the Farmington community both concert band and big band. So I, I got pulled into playing in those ensembles and the, the big band played like 1920s and 30s dance music. So my first gig was a Valentine's Day dinner dance for retirees, you know, playing Glenn Miller charts. And that Very was romantic. just kind of where I started. Yeah, that's where I started to learn about music and playing drums was through the lens of jazz musicians because that's that's who I was around. And the first time I played with kids my age was at a summer camp in Michigan called Blue Lake Fine Arts Camp. And it was a big band. It was, you know, still in jazz context. But the first chart that they pulled up was Chameleon mm -hmm. um, by Herbie Hancock, right? Yep. And that is a very complicated funk groove that mm -hmm. I had not practiced. And I just <laughs> fell, ap I fell apart trying to play that song. Traumatized me, you know, just like hormones and and you're growing so your limbs don't work yeah. you want them to anyway so you know just kind of traumatized by backbeats from from go i was like i'll just stick with ride cymbal swing patterns yeah there. <laughs> this is horse shit yeah <laughs> <laughs> um all right well let's go to number five the album is soul station the artist is hank mobley is that how you pronounce mm -hmm. it hank mobley yeah release years 1960 key track is this i dig of you and art blakey love to see his Absolutely. name on there so yeah take yeah. it away um with art blakey just his raw energy that he puts behind the music is so important um something i've noticed as a drummer i'm sure you can relate is like drums are the energetic center of the band right you come in and you're having a bad day everybody knows it you come in you're having a good day everybody knows it you don't nope. have to say anything. It's all in your playing and how kind of selfless art always was about bringing just energetic force behind an ensemble always um, is something that I, I think about, you know, how how important my energy is in a band. And there's a killing solo on this, too. This is another one I work with with students. Yeah, we are the vibe creators for sure. We're also the ones who have to, you know, most of the drummers that I know, we're the ones who, if tensions are high, we're the one that cracks the joke that makes everyone roll their eyes just to like alleviate totally. stuff. 
All yeah. right. Well, here is here's Art Blakey. Let's see this, I dig of you. He's just driving that train. Yep. If you want to fast forward to the drum solo. There we go. Also, Art, I love how his, uh, if I remember correctly, a lot of his solos, he really loves and appreciates and respects space. It's yeah. it's not just like notes, notes, notes. He really does like to make you like uneasy. Yeah. Like, where's he going with this? You know? Totally. And and this this generation, this time period that I keep going back to, I think maybe that is what I'm loving so much about it are these phrases that these drummers are doing within their ideas. It's not licks and and chops. It's like using rudimental language to create melodies, which is what that fundamental old school rudimental solo language is. They're like, yeah, it's rudiments put together in, in strings of time, but they're phrases, it's poetry, it's, mm -hmm. it's beautiful stuff. Well, let's talk about you a little bit. So you have a new record coming out. Is it pronounced Divinations? Yeah, Divinations, like fortune telling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, each song is, ba it's a, they're all original compositions um, based off of tarot cards. I am not super into tarot cards, but I had a friend <laughs> who is, and like through the pandemic started her own side hustle business of tarot card reading. And when we'd hang out, she'd do a reading for me. And uh, there's just play and whimsy and magic um, and beauty in these cards and the descriptions and the, and the artwork. Um, it just felt like a really fun creative process to take some of these cards from different decks and do kind of meditations musically on what they look like and what the descriptions are and, and came up with six pieces out of that. Awesome. And so yeah. people, if they want to get a hold of you, because I, I mean, as you, as I said, when you were explaining um, Bebop and just like throughout this whole conversation, you are, you are really good at compartmentalizing information and, and, and portraying the history of jazz as well as playing. So if people do want to study with you, 
and and just learn more about you, talk to you, how can they get a hold of Tina? Yeah, well, I'm the director of jazz studies over at Cal State Northridge. So if you're looking to get a degree, come and hang out at um, CSUN. We have a great time over there. My email is tina.raymond at csun.edu. Um, I also do some private lessons. You can contact me through my website, tinaraymond.com. But primarily, I'm, I'm teaching over at CSUN. That takes up plenty of, of I'm my sure. time. Yeah. <laughs> and you play a lot around L.A., which I hopefully will yeah. see you soon. Yeah. Billy and I are doing a gig with a percussionist, Randy Gloss. I don't know if you know Randy. Randy's this incredible world percussionist, um, had a percussion group called Hands Ensemble. Um, he teaches up at CalArts. Um, I took his his perspectives and hand drumming course when I was up there, and we learned Rick, which is this tiny Arabic frame drum that is so hard to play. And I was like, forget it. Give me back my sticks. Like, I can't do this hand drumming shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but we're playing together <laughs> with Billy at ETA on um, August 12th. It's a Saturday. So I don't know if you're okay. Yeah, around. I'm in town, and this I'll 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 try and make this episode come out before then as well. So maybe uh, oh, cool. people listening in LA area can go check it out. Yeah, this was really fun. Yeah, thank you, thank so you for much. having me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love to say thanks to Billy too. Thanks, Billy. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll say thanks to both of you guys in person. So I will see you on the twelfth. But I will. Yeah, I'll let you go. Like like I said, this will probably come out the Wednesday before the performance. Um, cool. Awesome. And, and yeah, I'll, thanks again, and I'll see you soon. Yeah, thanks, Ben. All right. Bye, Tina. Bye. And that's the show. If you're listening on a platform that allows ratings and reviews, do that. It helps more people find the show, so it'll get bigger and better, and hopefully I'll have a chance to sell out one day. But you'll be an OG listener that can brag to all your friends. Anyways, why don't you go and check us out at BigFatSnareDrum.com and follow us on all the socials. Just search for Big Fat Snare Drum and you will find us. The show is edited in part using Isotope RX Audio Editor. It's amazing. So go check that out at Isotope.com. And thanks again to Gunnar Olsen for the theme music. Bye.